So, so sometimes my Sunday school class will tell you that um, I do a little bit of self-confessional as just sort of a teaching point. So, so I want you to bear with me um, because every time I think about something really profound that I want to share with other people, I always get tested in that thing in, in the week where, you, where I share this really amazing insight, right? So uh, I want to see if you guys can relate to this. Living in Nashville, I think you can. So this past Wednesday, I left our house at 9 a.m. thinking I was going to get to church with a little bit of time to spare before we have a pastoral care meeting at 9.30 in Clay's office. And so the moment, I live in, in southeast Nashville, so the moment I turned off Edmondson Pike onto Old Hickory, that's when the fun began, right? So traffic was lined up all the way, moving west to I-65. Lanes were closed down for construction. People were all sliding from the side lanes into the one lane. And I knew if I could just make it to 65, if I could just get on to 65, that I'd make it to church on time. Traffic was stopped on 65. There was more construction. We crept at a snail's pace as we moved toward town. My GPS was still saying that I was going to make it on time, but I wasn't buying it. There were too many cars and we were moving too slow. So I, I spied the exit ramp at Harding and there weren't any cars there. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to get off right here and then take that back road to Franklin Pike and then go down to what to, to Woodmont and then Thompson. And, um, and, I, and at that moment, I started praying, uh, putting on some praise music and listening to that. I thought, okay, if I'm going to sit in traffic, we're going to make some worship happen this morning. We're going to involve God in this trip in some way, right? Maybe I'll get there on time. So I made the right-hand turn at Franklin Pike, and I started the dash to Thompson Lane and Woodmont Boulevard. I'm on the home stretch. I made it through all the lights at Woodmont until I made that left-hand turn. I got to the left-hand turn at Hillsboro Pike, and I have this little thing on my car that tells me how long you sit at a light. Do you guys have that? That where it starts counting off the seconds. Six minutes at that intersection. That is like the most busy intersection in Nashville. So finally, I make the turn. I pulled into the parking lot. I parked my car. I sprinted up to the door, into the mansion. I go up the stairs. It's 9.35, and Clay and Farrell and Roy are sitting at Clay's desk having what appears to be a very casual conversation, completely oblivious, by the way, to what I'd just been through to get there. So I pull up my laptop. I catch my breath, ready to start the meeting that I had raced to be there on time. Have I mentioned that yet? And they continued their very casual conversation. And that's when I got snippy. Does anybody here ever get snippy? So I stood up, and like I said, I, I preface this by saying sometimes I tell on myself, right? Are we gonna do pastoral care this morning? You know if not, I've got other things I can be doing. <laughs> Oh, Clay's watching this. The conversation completely stopped. Clay and Farrell and Roy looked at me, and then it was Farrell. It was Farrell who, seeing the slightly frazzled, crazed look in my eyes, said very coolly and very therapeutically and, and with brilliant double entendre, right? Here's what she said. She said, let's do pastoral care. Pastoral care for the pastor or for the people, right? So with that, I have to tell you, all the pent-up hot air in my balloon 
whooshed out. So I share this to say that the low level, the medium level, the high level anxiety and frustration that we experience is all around us. Even your ministers, if we're being completely honest, go through it. It's the air we breathe. It's the traffic, the tightly woven schedule. It's heightened by the news and social media. And as our lives get busier and busier, we are leaving less and less margin to respond to people with a flexible and casual grace. So maybe you've been there, right? You start your week with the best of intentions to bring your best self and then life happens. And sometimes, sometimes you can negotiate it with a little bit of finesse and grace, right? And other times you catch yourself in that moment where life builds up and it feels like it's ready to burst with a fallout that impacts everyone around you. And so often that happens, we're not even aware of how the pressure has built up. So we're finishing a sermon series that Clay started that he began on relationships out of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And I love those glimpses that Paul's letter gives us as to how the, the first century Christians lived out the, the daily presence of Christ. And so many of his letters are just about how people get along living out the presence of Christ together. And so as Paul imagines what those relationships look like, he always keeps the church's mission front and center, a mission, a mission which, which really is all about possessing a completely different kind of relationship altogether, a relationship that is grounded in Christ. So I want us to take a look at how Paul sets up everything he wants to say in Colossians about how they relate to one another in community. He says this, he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all of the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that's some pretty high sounding language. I mean, but here's what Paul's doing. He's recognizing that our ability to be in a loving and sustaining relationship requires us to spend some time outside of our heads and in the presence of Christ. In fact, to some of us, Paul's language comes across as setting the bar really high. The hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. And that's Paul's way of saying that as we relate to each other in marriage or friendship or community, there has to be a dynamic of self-giving, of sacrifice, of putting others above ourselves. And all of these are cultivated as we nurture our own personal relationship with Jesus. So, so here are the behaviors, he says, arise out of relationships that flow from being in connection with Jesus. It's encouragement, understanding, solidarity together, which means just being one in the spirit, love, and wisdom. But, but don't take Paul's word for it. Ask yourself, what sort of atmosphere would you imagine would be present in a community where Jesus was alive and active in, in people's lives? So I just want you to get a picture in your head of what that kind of community might look like. And so here's what I came up with. I'd expect a place 
where people would feel some hope. I'd expect a place where people could breathe more easily and be at peace. I'd expect a place where people could begin to feel some freedom. I'd expect a place where people felt like others had their back. I'd expect a place where people felt like they could take off their masks and just be themselves. I'd expect a place where people felt strengthened and empowered to live for the things that really mattered. I'd expect a place where where people experienced healing from past pains. I'd expect a place where people expressed feeling valued and appreciated. I'd expect a place where people were encouraged to live into the very best versions of themselves. Does anybody see that same picture that I do? So a writer I read this past week called these kinds of relationships, he called them nutric relationships. That's N-U-T-R-I-C, nutric relationships in contrast to toxic relationships. So all of us know what a toxic relationship feels like, and some of us have even made the hard choice at times to let go of some of those relationships. And this writer suggested that as you set healthy boundaries with toxic people, we also need to be intentional about gathering around us a group of neutric people as well, people who nurture us. So he says this, he says, neutric people are the opposite of toxic people. Neutric people nourish, support, and foster your growth and development. They help you realize your dreams. They are uplifting people who help you build your self-confidence. They believe in you. They motivate you to be better than you thought you could be. How many of you would like some neutric people around you today, right? All of us. So in Colossians, Paul acknowledges that the church, the body of Christ, is going to be the place where hurting, broken people in the world will encounter the love of Jesus in a way that absolutely transforms their lives. And that the church, together, will continue to learn and grow into a more pronounced experience of the presence of Jesus as they intentionally live out of Christ's love. So here's what he says. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were, what? Taught, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So my question, I just want you to think, Who taught you the faith? Who taught you and modeled for you how to love? And I want you to take a moment and think about the person who who modeled for you self-giving love, who put others first, whom you remember for bringing out your best and then had the ability to see your best even when you weren't at your best. So a couple of weeks ago in the Connections class, which we have immediately following the bridge, we we began to list some of the people who had exercised a huge spiritual influence over our lives and modeled qualities that continue to inform us of of what spiritual maturity looks like. And so I mentioned my dad, whose very presence, wherever my dad went, he was able to just create this pocket of balance and calm and peace around him. 
So we, so we went around the circle and listed names on the board, and there was one name. His name was Steve Robinson. Some of you guys may know him. That several people recognized who had no connection to Woodmont, but had worked with the local chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And someone said, wait, 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 I know him. That guy was so encouraging. And then someone else piped in too and said, wait a second. He made Christianity, the Christian walk, look so easy. He had, and then someone else said, I knew him. He had such a strong faith. You could always see his faith working by how he lived through his life. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15 that we are the aroma of Christ. And I love that picture, that image, because as someone who grew up in New Orleans, I can tell you what some amazing food aromas smell like, right? So when Susan and I got married, she learned how to make gumbo because she knew how much I absolutely love gumbo. And, and Susan's gumbo is not just an explosion of flavor, which it is. I mean, it is a big deal in our house when I get some gumbo. I get really, can you tell I get really excited about it? So it isn't just an explosion of flavor combining chicken and sausage and onion and garlic and a few other things. It's smell. It's aroma fills the house. I love coming home after she has made gumbo, walking through the door and just, this is heavenly goodness going on in this house, right? The Holy Spirit, Andrew, has descended on this home right now because when you walk into our house, when she's making gumbo, there is no mistake what she is up to. And that's what I think about when I think about the word aroma. Paul says our lives are like that. The encouragement and the love that we bring changes the atmosphere around us so that there is no mistaking what God is up to in our hearts. Our love is the aroma of our lives. We, we learn to love by watching others love well. We, we learn to love by making mistakes and then having the humility to go back to the drawing board when something wasn't working. We learn to love by saying, I'm sorry when I get it wrong. We learn to love by recognizing that sometimes our feelings aren't true gauges of reality and, and that we might have to make a choice to keep pressing in. We learn to love by being vulnerable enough to ask others for help. And it's true. No one of us was designed to go it alone and figure all of this out by our lonesome selves. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm thankful for that. It's like a breath of fresh air to know that, that I don't have to hide from anyone that I am God's work in progress. Anybody else thankful for that? That you have a place where you don't have to, to wear a mask or hide, that, that God's still doing a work in you that God will bring to completion. I'm thankful that there are people in this church community who love me for exactly who I am and will continue to call out the best version of myself. I am thankful for people who worship here today 
alongside me, who, who want for me and my family to thrive in love and encouragement. And I'm thankful. Here you go. I am thankful for a church that believes grace trumps judgment every single time. Come on. Now praise this God, right? This is God. Grace that's why I joined the Disciples of Christ as a church at Memphis, at Lindenwood back in 1991, because the moment I walked through the door, I felt a weight come off of me because it was grace and love and the presence of Christ. And my friends, if you are visiting here today, I am so excited for what you are going to get to experience if you come back next week. You get to hear Clay, right? No, I am so excited. I am so excited that this is a church that will begin praying alongside you. This is a church that will worship with you. This is a church that will begin calling out your best. This is a church that will travel this difficult journey with you. And, and maybe that place of thankfulness is, is where my spirit connects with God's grace. That's just the place in the room where I leave my heart, where I leave in my, the room I leave in my heart for just being thankful. So Paul does this. He connects encouragement to thanksgiving in our scripture this morning. He does. He, he says that the relationships the Colossians have are rooted in Christ, but they abound in thanksgiving. And so that's why I think he recognizes that thriving and encouraging relationships grow out of a heart of thanksgiving. He tells them this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with all thanksgiving. And here's why. Thankful people recognize that there is nothing that I have that truly matters that isn't an incredible gift of grace from God. And that everything that is freely received can also be freely given. And I want that to sink in. Because if there's one thing that ultimately set the earliest Christians apart from the culture at their time, um, that they were actually renowned for, uh, in fact, was their radical willingness to open up their lives to be God's blessing to others. And they did this out of a deep faith and, and this overwhelming appreciation for what God had done for them in Christ. So I, so I wonder if, if it isn't our best witness to the world today of who we are as the people of God, that we are a people who see every moment as a gift. We see every act of love as a gift. Every child's smile as a gift. Every day we get to live as a gift. Every person this morning seated here beside us, in front of us, behind us, as a gift that tells us something about how the incredible love of God has reached into our lives and saved us and changed us like we sang about this morning. And all of this as out of God's love that we ourselves are, are, are able to love. And so I want that to be the, the final thing that we talk about, we share this morning. The encouragement and the love that we bring is how we shift the atmosphere around us in the direction of God's kingdom. So that when people who are truly lonely 
and isolated, exhausted, despairing, and searching are wondering if there could ever be real life, if there could ever be real love on the other side of the mistakes made, of the judgment received, of the condemnation, the exclusion, that they could walk through the doors of this church and feel the chains be broken and breathe in the fresh air of freedom and know that they are completely and unconditionally loved by a people who are radically thankful for the mercy and love that God has shown them through Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, what an amazing call you have put on us as brothers and sisters in Christ to carry the presence of Jesus in a way that shifts and transforms the atmosphere around us. Wherever we go, we carry that presence that brings healing and encouragement and builds up other people's lives. And so we pray that that we would open ourselves up to the possibility of what your Holy Spirit can renew in us so that we have the, the margin in our lives to be able to be joyful and to speak life and love and encouragement, to daily be able to experience the peace that comes with knowing that you are God and you are good and you will see to completion that work you began in our lives. Through Christ our Lord, and everyone said,